You're listening to the Apple Insider Podcast. Welcome to the Apple Insider Podcast. I'm William Gallagher, and joining me is Victor Marks. Yeah, do you know, I honestly think that, in all fairness, everybody should have a turn at being William Gallagher. It just seems reasonable, don't you think? It's yes. only fair. Let's maybe put it into your, your U.S. Constitution thing. That'd be good. Okay. I, I think we'll mark it as a holiday and calendar. And you know, the, the thing of it is, right, I think I can only handle one day of being William Gallagher a year. Well, to be truthful, if I could walk away from me, I would as well. But then I've had it for a lot longer than a day. So I think that seems fair. I mean, it's 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 just too much to take on. The responsibility is crushing. Hang on. Have we actually swapped, though? In which case, can I ask you some questions about your bank accounts and passwords and things like that? Just just out of interest, really. <laughs> you, you, you can ask whatever okay, you I'll like. I'll make notes later. <laughs> Excellent. And we'll talk about that after the show. Welcome back. This is the Apple Insider Podcast. And William, I'm so glad you're here. Well, I'm... I want to talk to you for a moment about... Macintosh for schools. Oh yes, 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 yes. It's good. Schools, Macs. I, I'm, I am in the position of buying a laptop for my daughter for her first year of high school in the U.S. And the school said that you can use Windows 10 machines or you can use a Mac. In either case, they want a Core i5 or better. They want 256 gig of storage or better. So no 128 gig uh, MacBook Airs from years and years ago. Okay. Right. And they um, and they want uh, there. There was one person in there who said, "What about Linux?" And they said, "Yeah, but you're on your own if you do." And uh, which was okay because apparently their parent is someone big in in the Ubuntu community. So there's there's those kind of requirements going on around. And Jamf, who has sponsored this podcast in the past, but is not sponsoring this episode, uh, ran a survey. And their survey found that most college and university students would prefer to use a Macintosh, but that price is a considerable barrier, which I, as a as a parent and hoster of this podcast, can totally sympathize with. I'm just curious to know how – I mean, I'm not knocking Jeff. I know they've been going go for years and they do all sorts of things and it, it's very interesting. But there's just something about the way you phrase that, that they asked this. Did they go up to students and say, would you like this lovely Mac if you could afford it? In which case, you'd think more than – However many said yes would have said yes, but okay. Uh. Right. So it's, there's a totally valid question around how was the survey conducted, what questions were asked, and, and so forth. Um, and I don't have a copy of the survey here. What I, what I know so far is that this was a survey conducted by the research outfit Vance and Bourne. So Jamf paid for the study, but Vance and right. Bourne conducted it. And that... The, the, the summary is that 71% of the students surveyed said they prefer a Mac, even though 60% use a Windows PC. Of the people using a PC, of that 60%, 51% said they would switch if cost were not an issue. Okay. So I imagine the first question was, what devices do you currently use, right? What, what devices do you own? And then they would ask things like PC and Mac and Android and iPhone and so forth. And, and you know, do you own a tablet? Do you own an iPad? Right. That's those are common sorts of questions. And and then I imagine that they would filter down from there, you know, if you own the PC, why do you use the PC? Do you feel an so aching void of loneliness right? in your soul? That kind of thing. Yes. Yes. 
tick. Well, I, I do, but only because I'm William Actually, Gallagher. that fits. You're doing me very well there. Yes. <laughs> I know. Yeah. And they, they suggest that from this data, they see that uh, many Mac and Windows users are pretty firmly entrenched, that only 43% of PC users said that Macs provide the best value, where that figure rose to 80% among Mac users, which, which makes sense. I mean, when you ask the question about value, you get into sticky things like cost or return and, and stuff like that, what people feel like they get out of it. Plus the fact that um, nobody goes and buys a Windows PC and goes and buy a Windows Mac and spends equivalent amount of time on each. They buy one, and if it works for them, then it's good value. Um, yeah. you, you commit to it, right? You get entrenched in it. You start using applications. And and honestly, you know, there's there's a couple of different factors, right? There's the quality of the machine that you bought. There's the quality of the operating system and how it works and whether or not it works for you the way that it's constructed, you know, how you get on with it. And then there's the applications you use on it, yes, right? Yes, You know, I would, I would say that most of the time you don't actually interact a whole lot with the OS. I mean, you're using the operating system and it's doing all the underlying work, but you're not spending your whole day in Finder. I've spent quite a remarkable amount of time right? in Finder. You're not Finder, spending your whole yes. day in Windows Explorer. You know, you're, you're, but you're writing in an application or you're composing in an application or you're creating in an yes. application. You're not doing that in Windows Explorer. No, that's true. You're doing that in Microsoft Paint. Yeah, right. Okay. Yeah, Has anybody ever right. tried to BMP no. you off then? Sorry, that might be too British an expression. Uh, bump somebody off is a... Anyway, yes. Okay. William, so... Thanks. Thanks. Thanks for that, Marks. So uh, the, the data was collected this year, early 2019, from a sample of 2,244 people across five countries. Okay. Now, I don't know the distribution of the people among those five countries, but that tends to, to try and justify that this is not a small sample, that this is a reasonable sample. Okay, but I guess, is it a surprise? Any of it really? Uh, Mac gear is expensive, but once you've got past, you know, the, the, it hurts when you're paying. Once you've paid and you've got the machine, then I think you find it, it's worth it. Uh, so, yeah, yeah, Apple would sell more to students if they could make them cheaper, but then that's a whole other issue. So, right, but then you wind up with a problem, and one of our, our commenters on the website mentioned this, where you know you, you have beer money but champagne tastes. So if you buy a uh, if you if you bought a low Mac, which they don't even make, right? If you bought a, a substandardly low Mac, which was the thing that, that remember when the iPad was being introduced, where they before that they said we aren't going to make a netbook everyone was clamoring for yes. apple to make a netbook and steve jobs said we aren't going to make a netbook because we can't fig can't figure out yes. how to make a good one right you can't make something that cheap and make it good and make it portable and all the things that it'd have to be to be a good mac <clears throat> right so if they were able to make a low-cost mac would it be good enough for people to actually want Yes, which would then undo the whole value thing if it wasn't. And uh, I do think Apple right. is creative with its pricing. I think it's really, really good at charging precisely the right amount of money that's just more than you can afford so that you, yeah, it, they milk yeah. you for it. And, you know, well done them, I suppose. But, yes, okay. Well, here's they, they have problems. And part of the problem is being able to charge the right amount 
so that they, A, make margin and stay in business, which used to mm-hmm. be a real concern, and, and B, account for fluctuating prices on the supply side of things. You know, we used to hear all the time about how there was a storm in, in Korea or a storm in Taiwan, and it wiped mm-hmm. out the factories that produce SSDs or hard drives. Right or, or produce RAM, and so suddenly the prices go up because it's harder to get them now that the factories are wiped Which out. Which suddenly seems to be and over. The only problems now you get is if you're Huawei, but otherwise everybody seems to be fine. Yeah, yeah, but I mean, you know, remember those things, and of course the costs to Apple would go up, but they would not raise the price because they'd built enough room in to be able to absorb. Well, this change. also, uh, I, I, I should have appreciated this before, but I never thought about it. Looking into the Apple Card thing, the fact that Apple give you. Uh, I can't remember now off the top of my head what percentage back from anything you buy from them. Um, I worked, yeah, so if you go buy a $10,000 iMac Pro, you're getting a substantial chunk back. And that's coming off, that's coming from Apple. So uh, they have to be able to absorb that as well. So pricing is a really interesting area, I think, and they they do do it well. Right. And and so, you know, when you start making pricing, you, you construct what's called a cost calculator basically a large spreadsheet, and the spreadsheet points out what the bill of materials cost is, what the cost is the product when you get it on freight on board on a boat so that it arrives in the warehouse, uh, the landed cost, you've had to pay customs to get it into the country sure. kind of thing. Um, distribution costs, what's it cost to get it warehoused where you need to get it warehoused and shipped around, right? And then uh, what's a retailer margin? What's, what chunk does the retailer take when they sell it, right? And so you have to, to do all of those to figure out, here's what the thing actually costs to make, and here's what everyone else needs to be paid along the way. And at the very end is your profit margin. Uh, well, that's a cost plus model, isn't it? But yes, it's a standard way of doing it. Uh, it just how does Apple yeah. end up with very expensive things when other manufacturers can sell PCs for threepence? Well, the difference is that they, first of all, are doing some things that other manufacturers aren't doing. First of all, you know, like how many other people are using machined out of solid billets of aluminum for laptop cases? I genuinely don't know, but yes, Apple seemed to be. Rather right. few. There's, there's all kinds of different stuff out there going Although- on. It all points to the same question at the end, which is, what are you going to buy for your daughter? Well, she doesn't know it yet, but I've already answered that. Yeah, I'm sorry. I actually, I don't follow um, when terms things start. So is it uh, September that she'll be starting this or sooner? August. August, Okay, so that's quite, quite close. Which is why I had to sort this out. I'm mean, quite impressed with the school that they gave a spec list. It's like, um, yeah, you'd think they'd just let you get on with it as long as you can turn up and do the work. What do they care? But they're, you know, they're obviously aware that a lot of the parents won't be that familiar with stuff. So they're helping them out by saying, you need this, this, and this. Well, and the other issue is, is that the middle school had prepared a list for this kind of thing too. And the middle school favored Chromebooks over iPads. They'd allow iPads, but they weren't fond of them. And so for things that they wanted to do that required Chromebooks, they would go ahead and issue one to the iPad students okay. for a while yeah. kind of thing. And the high school said, nope, don't turn it up with a Chromebook because our testing regime isn't prepared for Chromebook. We're prepared for having real machines and real browsers and so forth. And so turn up with a machine like this. And by the way, 128 gig need not apply. So what did I do? What did, what did, what did William Gallagher well, do? Uh, I uh, – 
I, I've been very busy <laughs> on. on it. Uh, I've been thinking about it a lot for the last minute or however long it is since you told me about this. And I think I probably did something a bit Hackintosh-like. I, I probably took the innards mm. of a Mac Pro uh, and a pencil case and put them together with some sort of home kit apparatus. How does that sound? I thought strongly about Hackintosh, and I thought about getting a Hewlett-Packard Elite book, which are among the most compatible kind of things for that sort of thing. And when I researched it deeply, I found that there was going to be some issue with power management, that it, it may not be easy to get sleep working properly, sleep or hibernate working properly. And so I, um, I decided not to do a Hackintosh. Even though I went to the trouble and of saying apparatus in an American pronunciation instead of apparatus. As we would say here, oh, that yes, took you some did. effort. Yes, and you're you just did. ignoring it, and right. it was good. It was very good of you. And uh, I purchased a 2015 13-inch MacBook Air mm. with 128 gig, ah. mm. and then separately purchased an M2 NVMe SSD drive off of Amazon, knowing full well that these are incompatible with Macs, and purchased an adapter. Oh, I see. Right. To adapt the Mac SSD slot to this SSD drive. And one of the things that's rumored to be a problem with these sort of adapted things is that they don't support Hibernate properly, which sounds a lot like the thing that yes. I was avoiding with Hackintosh. But there are, are conflicting reports that suggest that it does work. And so I purchased a one terabyte SSD and this adapter, and I'm going to see if it works. Oh, okay. Um, hang on, let's just work through. Well, I'm curious to know how much are you gambling here and whether it works or not. But also, I have no idea how you get inside uh, any type of MacBook to put this stuff in. Or am I completely misunderstanding and you're just gluing it on the back? No, no, the bottom cover comes off and you remove this drive from the old slot and you screw in the new one. Okay. And uh, the the cost of the MacBook used was three hundred bucks. I negotiated for that. Three hundred bucks. <laughs> and so a, a 2015 MacBook Air for three hundred bucks. Yes. I felt pretty good about yes. that. And the cost of the crucial one terabyte drive that I bought was about one hundred and fifteen. And the adapter was another fifteen dollars. Yeah. Plus, presumably, deliveries, postage, just, whatever, some sort of... Uh, free delivery mm -hmm. Amazon. Okay. Oh, uh, it was, that was of the uh, the drive. So if it doesn't work, uh, are you yeah. able to return it? I believe so, yes. Okay. When will you know? When are you going to get the screwdriver? But that puts me in a position of having a, a MacBook Air that doesn't have the correct amount of storage that the hmm. school requires. Now, there are two approaches to that. One is just send her with it anyway and see what they yes. say, right? And the other approach is to then talk to someone like MacSales, the OWC, who have compatible drives, but they cost significantly more, and uh, see if something can be arranged there. Go ahead and purchase drive. So there are lots kind of, of possibilities. That's good, but there are options. We're not out of options. But the 2015 was was selected because it has the traditional yeah, keyboard. Okay. Mm -hmm. So let's talk keyboards for a moment, right? Previously on keyboards, yes. Previously on Keyboard Insider. 
Apple released a service program. Yes. They they have an updated butterfly keyboard repair program. And the the keyboard repair program covers what? I'm going to go out on a limb and I'm going to say yeah. keyboards. Go on. I thought Amazing. so. So that's the kind of insightful use you get out of talking to me. Yes. Well, can we have it. Mike back into I the do. mix? I do love it. He's thinking about it. Thanks. Yeah. Okay. Uh, yes. So uh, they have keyboards and support for keyboards. Everybody's happy. Yeah. And so the keyboard program says that uh, any of the the keyboards that, that fail uh, will be covered and will be upgraded to the new version if they're of the, the V3 form factor, right? If they're the ones that were shipped in 2018, they'll be upgraded to this new version 4 keyboard that Apple's revised. Okay. Well, that seems good. That seems quite expensive for Apple, depending on how many there are and things, but okay. All right. So the new keyboard fits the 2018 MacBook Pro and the 2018 MacBook Air. Uh, previous models get the second-generation keyboard mechanism, which was better than the first-generation one found in the 2015 MacBook and 2016 MacBook Pro. Those ones will still get service, but they won't get updated to the new model of keyboard that was just announced as a part of the new MacBook Pro yes. that was announced. What's the new MacBook Pros? And we, and we're taking till now to mention them? Okay. Well, not only are there new MacBook Pros, but the new MacBook Pros also qualify for the service program. How weird is that? Okay. That did give me pause for a moment there. I mean, we've talked about this before. I actually like the keyboards on it. I mean, there are others I prefer, but I'm quite fine uh, working on them. Uh, I suppose I've certainly never had any problems, but I haven't used them for long enough to really feel it. And if you've got a problem, then it's kind of crucial, isn't it? So this is all good. That's... Yeah, that's what it comes down to is, you know, if if you enjoy typing on it, wonderful. If you never have a problem, brilliant, fantastic. But when you do have a problem, if you do get one, then then that's sort of the end of the, the world for you, right? Yes. That's a real pain, especially if typing is your livelihood. But even if it isn't, the, the act of typing something and having something other than you expect happen is not yes, good. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, there are, there are people who have opinions on the whole keyboard thing, like, you know, they, they took something that appealed to pretty much everyone and worked for pretty much everyone and worked without a whole lot of failure and turned it into something that's polarizing. Yes, but thinner and polarizing. Give them that. Right. But if it doesn't work for, for oh. you know, ballparking it just as half the people that, that want a machine from you and you don't sell any other models – then what does that mean? It means you push them to PCs. Or like you did to older MacBooks. Now, just as an aside, can we right. just compliment Apple on how well their MacBooks look? Because I, I was away the other week doing book research. Uh, I took a 2009 MacBook uh, with me to work on it. And uh, I've, I've had keyboard problems with it for years. That's why I don't use it much. But I bought an external keyboard, did all the work. It was gorgeous. Ten years old, that machine. Yeah, I have a 10-year-old one also. I just bought a power supply yeah. and a battery for it. Yeah, it was the 13-inch aluminum yeah. one that I've got there. It was the 15-inch um, aluminum. So, there you go. 
I have one of those as well, but right, it's failed. Yeah, I probably would. It's all the stress on the vowels, isn't it? Yes. Okay, so uh, yeah. we haven't actually mentioned the new MacBooks. We've talked about one bit of it, which I admit is, is significant. Uh, but what do you think about the new MacBooks? Do you, do you want one? Personally, no. Yeah. Personally, not, not especially. I, my thought, and this is just a suspicion, is that, that okay, we ran an editorial written by our own Daniel Aaron Dilger. And Daniel Aaron Dilger says that reporting about the MacBook Pro is failing at a faster rate than the butterfly <laughs> That's keyboard. That's a nice line. That yes. is, he, he thinks, yeah, <laughs> yeah he, he believes that the butterfly keyboard doesn't really have a, a failure rate worth commenting on, but that journalists are all over this as, as beating the drum of Apple's dying. It's the new form of Apple is dying. Okay, because right? we needed a new one of those, yes. And, yeah, we absolutely had to have a new one of those. I I think he is kind of incorrect. Um, you should get him on to talk about this. And And the reason that I think he is a little incorrect here is that the – that the problem is not the actual numbers that the keyboard fails in. The problem is in the perception. And if people are considering buying a machine and they read online that there are complaints about this thing, that's enough to scare them away. Yes. Yes. Although uh, it's, it's, a, it's an issue of who is perceiving what. If all journalists are going on this, well, but I'm not somebody who ever looks at coverage of Apple gear, I just need a machine, I'm not going to know about that, and I'm going to buy it for all the good and bad of that. You, you, you drop a thousand pounds, you're not going to read about it Well, first. actually, possibly not. If I'm a long-term Mac user, I need a new Mac. I'm, I might go compare them right. in the store to see what I see, but I am not going to go get out what PC or which Windows uh, first. Right. But... If you're one of the 60% of the people surveyed in the first part of this that said they would like to switch to Mac, um, which, you know, you, you know, you'd be reading about it first, especially if you were on a budget. And that's concerning. The, the perception of the problem is a real – it makes oh, it a real problem. I agree that that's the problem. That's the perception of the problem. I just think we don't know the degree of either of them, um, really. So yes, but but putting the newly launched machines in coverage in the repair program yes, well, it's thorough. is is unusual. Yes, it is. It's it's on on one hand, it's acknowledging the problem. Yes, which is always the first step. On the other hand, it's trying to reassure customers that they don't have to worry about the problem. But that's also a little concerning. <laughs> so my my suspicion and my hope is that, you know, and it's just pure speculation, but if, if they're doing that, they are aware that they have to do something. And I, I would hope that that means that there's another keyboard in the offing that maybe goes in, away from this problem and maybe even goes away from this design. What are the odds, though? Because they've spent five years doing this design almost, and it's it's clearly not. not Actually, that's what that was the thing that really surprised me: how long we've had these butterfly keyboards. Two thousand, yeah, it doesn't MacBook, seem right like yeah. moments ago. Yeah. But yeah, this is the third or fourth version of them. I mean, I don't see them making uh, MacBooks thicker to accommodate uh, a deeper travel keyboard, but 
Yes, I'd never imagined a butterfly keyboard before. Maybe there are people there imagining much better caterpillar keyboards for the future. That would be that'd be quite good. Yes. But you're just looking at me there. There's got to be something to this. And and one position, Daniel's position, is that there isn't a problem and that Apple's going to keep iterating until there isn't a problem. And the other solution is is finding a new design. Um, I wish I could remember how long the previous keyboard, the kind of chiclet keyboard style lasted. I mean, a long time. So... Uh, that debuted with the first unibody Max, which was 2000, I want to say 2009. Oh, right. Wow. My machine was one of the first. Cool. I mean, well, well, I mean, we had the white chiclet Max, uh, further back. The white oh, chiclet yes. MacBooks yes. were 2000, uh, Was that when they were still called iBooks? 2006. No, no, uh, iBooks predated and iBooks did have chiclet style keys um, the white iBooks did the white iBooks have chiclet style keys no I don't think they but the Mac but, but the PowerBook line kept with the the traditional style key before the chiclets for a long time until the 2008 2009 time frame I like the chiclet style but um... I do too I wasn't unhappy with the butterfly one. I'm also not particularly interested in the new MacBooks. I think just for, um, I don't have a compelling need to get a new MacBook at the moment. So I've kind of zoned out a little bit. I think what they offer seems very good. So if I was in the market, uh, in fact, actually, um, if you are me and I am you, I think I slash you, let's be clear here about burnout, should be buying your mm. daughter uh, a new MacBook Pro. That would solve everything. There you go. Sorted out. Well, yeah. Yeah, it would. But as of today, we're still going to try out this 13-inch MacBook Air. Right. So you're putting your interest in assembling a MacBook above the needs of your own daughter. What I'm considering is that I know my daughter, and I know that she's hard right. on machines. I presume you also know your budget, which is what I thought you would lead with there. So, well, you, you know my budget as well, right, being me. You've got I'm my bank currently working through several accounts, no. yes. Uh, I feel <laughs> 300 pounds, 300 yeah, pounds, so. sorry, $300 next to uh, two and a half grand, at least. For my, but I can see a yeah. discrepancy there, but okay, right, if you're not going to be, yeah. Even even twelve hundred for a twelve inch MacBook, hmm. there's a discrepancy. Uh, you know, don't cheap out on this. Go the whole route. Yeah, yes. absolutely, absolutely. But the you know the the two thousand nine MacBook that she's carried around uh, has dents and dings in it and and battle scars. And yeah, but it's... do I feel better about a three hundred dollar <laughs> machine in her hands for that sort of thing? Okay, yeah, I'm not going to ask what she did, but as long as she doesn't have dents and dings in, then I'm fine with that. Yeah, let the machine take it all. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Absolutely. Let it carry the brunt of that. Interestingly, some some guy named William Gallagher posted a story on Apple Insider. He keeps doing that. Uh, what's he done there? I know. He should. He does, though. He keeps on doing it. Um, 2019 iPhone models listed in Eurasian oh, yes. regulatory filings. Yes. And I uh, bet you can quote them all, can you? No? 
Well, there are a number if I start of you numbers, off with A two one one one, I think I may have added too many digits yeah. in there. You fill out the rest. And ending ending with A two 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 three. That's one of my personal favorites, actually. <laughs> it's it's a classic it's number. Yes. Anyway, eleven different models of phones. Yes. Now this this number includes the different variations made for different countries and different uh, you know different modems mm. and LTE bands and kind of things. Now, there's no requirement that these numbers follow any sort of pattern. No, and yet, but they do. But it is interesting that they are a set like that. Yes, right? I mean, uh, without listing the numbers, if anybody hasn't memorized these, you might be wondering what the sets are. But as I recall, um, it's eleven numbers, isn't it? The first and the last are a little bit out from the rest, but then in the middle there are two well, sets. So. Yeah. It's there's there's uh, a twenty one eleven, and I'm gonna read them like that so that we can hear the differences. A twenty one sixty one, a twenty one fifteen, a twenty two a twenty two fifteen, a twenty two sixteen, and seventeen eighteen nineteen twenty twenty one. So from twenty two fifteen all the way through twenty two twenty one, they're all sequential. Yes. And the the a twenty one sixty and twenty one sixty one are a pair, but mm. they're alone. And the 2111 and the 2223 on either end of the spectrum are also totally I think alone. those, the first and the last one is just Apple kidding, messing with our heads. That's definitely what that is. Uh, there, there, there has been speculation that the 2160 and 61, that those two together, uh, the 2019 equivalent to the iPhone ten uh, are, but I have no idea how anybody got that. I worked through the rest, comparing them to... Actually, does that not sound terrible? I sat there with a calculator and model numbers trying to work out things. There are uh, seven, I think, numbers there between 15 and 21. So much for my calculator. Okay. Oh, so you got you. three different yes. models. Yes. Right? And you got three different storage sizes for those different yes. models. Potentially, although you could have just two different storage sizes for those models. Yes. But... Which would make sense for the the sort of pairs. So you have one model that may be like a low entry model on its own. Yes. Right? And that's just the storage size you get. Kinda like the SE. Like you need a cheap phone, you need an iPhone SE, here's your phone, and it comes in that storage mm. size. And there's your price. So that's one way you could have one model number at the the low end of this range of numbers. Presuming mm. and it's a presumption, that these numbers correspond to you know, higher low-end pricing. Yes, it's a reasonable assumption, but it's and, assumption. And then you got a pair, which could be the same model of phone, but with different storage sizes. And then you've got this one, two, three, four, five, six, seven oh, different seven. numbers yes. that are that are sequential. So seven numbers is a bit weird because you can't just divide them in half and say, okay, there are two models there and you get no. two types of storage each. But it also, but also, we've we've totally thrown out the idea that there are variances in the modem is equipped for different carriers mm -hmm. and for different regions. The dual SIM business, so just, physical dual SIM, yeah. And the dual SIM business, and it's just all too complex. Yes, I would also like to point out that as well. I, I, I mean, we know that these are iPhones because it actually says uh, in the the billy. Sorry, we didn't say this in the Eurasia. There are certain types of machinery that have to be registered, legal requirements with the Eurasian Economic Commission. That's what these are for. Uh, and very often it's just the numbers and Apple. But this time it does say, every one of them is, quotes, uh, smartphones of the trademark Apple. 
so we know they're iPhones. Uh, but beyond that, I sometimes wonder about these numbers because there was a case last year, towards the end of last year, when it looked absolutely certain there would be, I think it was four uh, new Macs come out. And I think we probably had them by now, but we didn't get them when we expected. So who knows when these things are? But this also seems a bit early, actually. But, right. You know. the, well, they're, they're placeholders and they have to be tested and so forth. Mm. And so... You know, it's it's uh, it's a it's thing, interesting. but nothing says exactly when the the thing about the iPhone is that you know Macs can come whenever they want to release a Mac. An iPhone, you tend to know when they're going to yes. be released. Yes, they have changed that in the past, but they but from moving with June or July, I can't remember now, to September time. But it, originally June 29th to uh, to the fall September yes, that November. Was a barren long wait year. I remember it well. It was. Uh, it was. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you what. What we know so far, what we expect so far, is that the 2019 iPhone is expected to have a triple camera system, a super wide lens, an improved front-facing camera, and that the antenna technology is changing. What's the stuff with the antenna technology? Uh, So there are different types of antennae materials in use, and that... um, the the antenna that are currently used in 10s and 10s Max and 10R is really quite expensive, and so it looks like for 2019 we're going to change to a different material, different process, which has more suppliers, which will help bring the price uh. down. And then in 2020 or so, when we start doing 5G, that by that time the more expensive material will have come down in price and be used for the 5G uh, antenna. The price coming down for Apple or for us. Yeah, okay, because I was worried about them there, but yeah. yes. No, no, price coming down for Apple. It's a, I mean, this is totally relevant, but, that, that but it fascinates be, uh, me how, uh, as the world is becoming seemingly very polarized, uh, politically, culturally, all sorts of things, uh, the machines we rely on are so intertwined across the entire planet. It's just fascinating. I mean, look at how... Oh, how I, how I, uh, problems for them um, how reliant yeah. they are how reliant all of these companies are on everybody else it's an amazing little thing we've ended up with well Huawei has big problems because of all of the the different things that are knock-on effects from the the order to not you know that the, the do not do business yes. with them problem so Android revoked the license. Google revoked the Android license to Huawei, which means now they're going to have to find a different operating system to ship and that their customers would be interested in using. Samsung maybe could pull that off with Tizen. Samsung might be able to pull that off switching people to Tizen, but Huawei has no such plan for that. That we know. Right? No. Yeah. yeah, not good. I mean, they could they could talk to LG. I mean, WebOS used to be open source. LG bought it, but it, it was open source. They might be able to revive WebOS, but that would be a gargantuan. What effort. was the thing I heard about there being a, uh, an open source version of uh, Android that they could use? I see. I don't know enough about Android to follow the the logic, but is it that there is a different flavor of Android well, they can have? AO, AOSP is the Android open right. source project. And AOSP gets you a bunch of stuff, but it doesn't get you to what you would call an Android phone exactly because you don't get any of the other services along with it. You don't get Google Maps. You don't get the Google Play Store. You don't get Play Services. You don't get updates nicely. 
So so then they'd have to make their own compiled updates through AOSP and issue their – they're all kinds of, of oh, I think you missed a bit there. They'd have to make that, their own updates and then not spread them out to the phones just to give the same sort of experience that real Android users get. But I see your point. Yeah. Yes, yes, absolutely. But it is a, a difficult yes. thing. To, to It's a big That's undertaking. Huge. And it – yeah, it's problematic. Now – I can't tell you I was in a meeting. But they, they have they have bigger problems, right? Because ARM is no yes. longer working with them. So I gotta, they got to figure out how to get processors. Yeah, you know, they're going to have to start taking lodgers right? in every phone. They're going to have to figure out how to get modems because you know, Qualcomm is Oh, maybe they can get to Intel. Them. No. Okay. Um, or, yeah. Similar problems. Possibly more even, but yes. So, yeah. So, so this is a big thing. I mean, does it spell the end of Huawei? Well, you're the one who talks about perception. I was in this long meeting, yes, a big meeting, and the number of times people actually directed a comment to their phones because they said China was listening through them. Uh, well, it was funny at first, but it was actually quite remarkably repetitive throughout the day. That perception is out there. Um, and what can you do about that? Were those Android yes, users? Yes, they were Huawei users, uh, a couple of Android users. Um, all the people with iPhones just waited till it was over. But, you know, it w- I have to say, actually, they did it very amusingly. But, um, yeah, yeah, I was... yeah, one of those, the first time funny, second time not so much. Well, these are talented people. It was first, second, and maybe fourth time funny. But there's always diminishing returns. Mm. Yes, I don't think any of them are listening to us here. So yeah. it could be okay here, but... Uh, no. It's just you, me, and 20,000 cool. of our closest cool. friends. No, it's just the three of us, isn't it? I'm very happy for just that. Just the three yeah. of us chatting away. It is. I, I, actually, I feel sorry for Huawei. I mean, if they are doing what they are accused of, then uh, this is obviously good that it's being stopped. Uh, but yeah, you, who knows what's technology, what's uh, politics. And I, I find it disturbing that a company can be dismembered like this remotely. Um, what if it was my company? What if somebody managed yeah. to do it to Apple? True. Very true. Now, there we, we talked in the past about how rural telecoms use Huawei and ZTE gear to power their, their telecoms. Oh, yes, and networks. the UK uh, is looking to do it, use them for stuff, yes. Yeah. Well, Vodafone is launching 5G using Huawei gear. Okay. So there is a proposed U.S. Senate bill that would set aside $700 million to rural telecoms in order to tell them, you know, help them avoid Huawei gear, ba- basically subsidizing the, the purchase of competitive, competitive products. All right. So there are competitive projects. There are competing products. If you are a Huawei customer of that scale, it's just Huawei stuffed. Yeah. Okay. Right. I'd- yeah. I mean, it's a, it's a price problem. A lot like we were talking about with that jam hmm. survey, right? You know, windows users would love to afford Mac, but, but can't. Well, rural telecoms aren't exactly rolling in money. So who would they buy? Who would If Jamf surveyed them, who would they say they would rather be buying? <clears throat> good question. That's a very good question. I mean, you'd think it'd be things like Cisco and uh, and, and Qualcomm right. stuff. Okay, I but imagine. presumably the uh, Senate bill hasn't specified that because... Well, the, the the bill is not law. It's not regulation yet. It's just okay. simply a proposal right. at this point. 
speaking of of security and flaws and and exposing user information, mm-hmm. right? A security researcher discovered a flaw in Instagram's website. Oh well, at least it isn't Facebook. <laughs> I know, I know. I couldn't resist that. Instagram property of Facebook. Yes. So, in a surprise move, what's gone wrong with them? Left user contact information exposed for months. No. So my months. my photographs of sunsets have been exposed to <clears throat> hackers the world over. Right. So David Steyer, or Steer, a data scientist and business consultant, discovered earlier this year an issue with Instagram's website in which source code for some user profiles contained private contact information that's not made available on public-facing pages. Ouch. So okay. he, he showed archived version of Instagram profiles dating back to October 2018, believes thousands of accounts were impacted by the flaw, including pages belonging to private individuals who have locked their accounts, right? right. Private individuals, minors, and businesses. Sorry, minors. Minors. Uh, isn't there an age there are, limit uh, on Instagram the way there is on uh, Facebook and things? There are tons of minors on Instagram. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Mm. Facebook doesn't care. Facebook has signed up minors for Facebook, and when there were people spending in-app currency in Facebook games and parents complained, you know, how did you let my kid spend all this money – they, in private documentation behind the scenes, referred to the kid as a whale, which is the term that you refer to, is to refer to a person with a gambling problem in Vegas. Wow. Okay. And said, and said, we're not refunding the money, which it's illegal. The kid is not allowed to spend the money like that. Okay. Facebook doesn't care. Law? It's whatever <laughs> Facebook can get away with. Well, that seems to be the stage of the world anyway at the moment. But okay. Yes. Yes. Okay. Yeah. So Instagram exposed this information. The researcher informed Instagram of the problem in February. The company issued a patch in March. But the the reason why it's news now is that it was open for so long, it presented a prime opportunity to collect sensitive information on people. And there's, there's a guess that bad actors were able to create a database of user contact information by scraping Instagram's website during that four-month period. A report on Monday revealed an unsecured database maintained by Indian social media marketing firm Chatterbox leaked personal contact information tied to millions of Instagram influencer accounts, including users not even affiliated with that company. So that database has 49 million records, and it's it's a figure that's continuing to grow until the list was pulled from Amazon Web Services that day. So Chatterbox said that they don't that the information it gathered was not private, nor was it sourced unethically, which leads back to the idea of just scraping the web. Now, Instagram's terms of use prohibit profile scraping, but Chatterbox hasn't clarified exactly how they obtained that data that was not easily available to general users. So Instagram, for their part, says they're investigating Steyer's report and the Chatterbox database. On the positive side, Chatterbox is a good name. I bet they take out various letters, don't they? Take out the vowels and shoot them. They, they, they have disemvoweled it for you, yes. Disemvoweled, what a brilliant phrase. Oh, I'm having that. <laughs> you like that? Yes, huh? excellent. And yeah. since you're me, for some reason that I've actually not fully comprehended yet, uh, I thought of that. So thank you very much, me. I'm having that. Yeah. Well done, you. Mm. Well done, me. <laughs> I'm impressed. <laughs> One of those yes. things. Right. Tell me about WWDC. It's this big thing Apple does every year. And uh, Tim Cook comes out and says, good morning. 
And uh, that wasn't a very good impersonation of anybody. And no one goes really. there because it's too popular. Right? No. Okay. Yeah, it's nearly impossible to get a ticket. But <laughs> the the 2019 schedule has revealed that something called Replay Kit will be coming to Mac OS later this year. Ah, no, let me show you that. I, I thought I knew all of the kits. Uh, I mean, I haven't studied it like we do product numbers and in regulatory filings. Uh, but I had honestly never heard of Replay Kit before this week. Uh, is that just my ignorance or is it... Um, yeah, not very well known. What's it do? Actually? Well, I mean, it's it's a good question. Do you know what it does? Not a clue. Okay. Um, Should we just make up something between us? Absolutely. Okay. Uh, it's probably a misspelling of reply. It does emails automatically. It's reply kit. That's what everybody's just getting wrong. Yeah, it's a framework for emails. Well done, William. <laughs> Do I get points for no. speed, at least? Okay, it's something to do with screens, do. isn't it? Yeah. I presume recording something or playing back something. I... Right, so the the concept is that it is um, it allows iOS users to record and share content via Control Center. So when you go ahead and make a, a screen-sharing movie kind of oh, thing, right. that's what that is. You're, you're using a replay kit under the covers. Oh, I have and used that feature. It's really useful. So what if you now make that available to other applications? And furthermore, what if you make that available back on Mac OS? Sorry, do you mean the facility, the ability to record? And to incorporate that into applications. Okay. Make it available to other people, right? Yeah, except QuickTime Player on the Mac can already do screen grabs and things like that. QuickTime Player's dead, William. Oh. Hadn't been touched in ages. It's, it's a dead duck. Oh, I use it. I know. It's actually I, a very I good audio recorder, but, uh, you know. Uh, I know. But, uh, so that's that's what's going on, is that uh, there is a session that Stephen Trout and Smith pointed out on Twitter for uh, Mac OS, iOS, and tvOS with, with, as a replay kit rat lab. There's also a session on exploring new data representations in HealthKit, which which claims to teach people about or supposes to teach people about modern storage for high-frequency health data types, accessing beat-to-beat heart rate data, and uh, and how to sort of bring in an entire new dimension of health to your users with new support for hearing health. It's fair. I was just thinking, as you said that, uh, all of this is going on. Whenever anybody said, asks about WWDC or mentions it, what they tend to be talking about is the opening two hours or whatever it is right, but it's the, the whole the, the week keynote with product uh, stuff yeah uh, I, I might only have access to this because i'm a developer but a lot of the sessions for the rest of the week are filmed and at some point do go out on the developer website i don't know if that's commonly available elsewhere but some of them are really really interesting about the most minute parts of apple software and deeply appreciate and then you know you see proper developers using their stuff in their apps and things. So the whole week is going to be just a, a boom full of things to enjoy later. Absolutely. Well, one of my favorites is is a one that was given a couple of years ago by Ken Kashenda, which was a talk in, in the frameworks discussion entitled a strategy for great work stories and the lessons learned from them. Okay. And uh, I, I really do enjoy that one. Now, Ken Shenda, we've had him on the show before. He's great. And it was something special to, to be able to watch this, uh, this session that he gave. 
and really figure out, listen to him and sort of hear about what makes a great project. Cool. Is that publicly available still? Could we put them in the show notes or something if it's around? Uh, we'll try and link to that. It's I, I downloaded the slides from that as a PDF. Oh, right. It's pretty awesome. Cool. Yeah. Actually, that's a thought. Sorry, I'm just thinking about software developers. Um, there's a podcast devoted to Omni, made by the Omni Group, who do Omni Focus, Omni Outline, and stuff, and just terribly entertaining podcast. And I seem to remember somebody on there talking about how the whole company works really hard to get all its big software updates finished and shipped just before WWDC so they can kind of clear the decks and either enjoy everything Apple gives them or panic about what Apple's taken away. So Yeah. And and panic, you know, it's interesting because you just said it's the name of the company too. It's the name of a company, yes. Uh, possibly a well, different no, one. No, but it, well, well, well done there on that. Okay. I need to talk a little bit for a moment about Wi-Fi. Cool. You upgrade your smartphone, your TV, and your laptop. But when's the last time you upgraded your home Wi-Fi? Oh, goodness me. I'm actually looking at it now, but it's uh, a lot of years since I even thought about it before. Well, the future of Wi-Fi is here. It's time to welcome Wi-Fi 6. The Netgear Nighthawk Wi-Fi 6 router gives you ultra-fast speeds and wider coverage throughout your home, and it's the biggest revolution in Wi-Fi ever. You get four times the capacity compared to today's Wi-Fi, which means you can connect more devices, stream simultaneously, without impacting Wi-Fi speed and reliability. The devices today and tomorrow demand more. Your old Wi-Fi is timing out. You need the latest and high-performance Wi-Fi that can keep up with you and your entire family. If you stream your shows on services like Netflix or Hulu, the newest line of high-performance routers from Netgear will eliminate buffering and let you stream smoothly, even in 4K. It's like giving your streaming the VIP treatment, really. If you game online, lag will be a thing of the past. Turn your Wi-Fi up to 6 with a Nighthawk Wi-Fi 6 router. Check it out today at netgear.com slash Wi-Fi 6. That's netgear.com slash Wi-Fi and the number 6. And I've, I've begun using a, uh, a Netgear Nighthawk AX12 router, which is one of these Wi-Fi 6 routers. And I'm, I'm going to tell you in the future episodes what I think of the thing. But it is, it is a fantastic – it looks like a little bat wing kind of thing. It's a really interestingly shaped router, and it seems to be super powerful. Hang on. Can we just back up a bit? Why aren't you going to tell us now? Is that just mean? Yes. Okay. Fair enough. Well, as long as there's a reason. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. That's exactly what it is. Now, you mentioned Panic a second ago, and I want to talk about Panic because they announced, of all things, a handheld game station, game computer. Yes. Did you see that? Yeah, I'm. I think we've got this before. I'm so not a gamer. I was. I'm aware of it, but I couldn't. I'm never going to use it, so it's going to pass me by. Panic. I know for very different pieces of software. Like uh, Transmit was. Uh, it's theirs and stuff. And now they're doing yeah. what? Some sort of Nintendo-like thing or something. Well, don't say that so disparagingly. Well, <laughs> they. Uh, they. Years ago, Steve Jobs said something to the effect of, if you – people who want to make good software should make hardware, something like mm. this. And I know I'm mangling the quote, but it was something to that effect. You remember, yes, right? Yes, absolutely. It was a good point. Okay. So they took it on board. Okay. They, they said in a Twitter post that they realized that 
they don't have any stockholders. They own their own company. The only thing holding them back from doing something is themselves. <laughs> Excellent. Oh, I like that. Okay. Yes. And so they, <laughs> you know, they've made numerous applications. Yes. Why shouldn't they make hardware? That's great. Oh, well, good luck to them for that. I like it. Yes. Right. And so they made this this game system, and the game system is interesting. It's got a traditional D-pad kind of thing. It's got uh, some buttons. It's got a hand crank on the side. Hand crank. Um... Yeah, they, they partnered with, the, uh, with Teenage Engineering, who makes synthesizers. And Teenage Engineering, when they were working on this thing, said it should have a hand crank. And so it has a hand crank on the side. Of course it does. Well, is this so no battery power it's, or something? Is it a clockwork? It, no, no, it doesn't even do that. It's it's a part of the game's controller. Oh, I see. Oh, okay. Right. When you enter your Wi-Fi password, you use the crank to cycle through the alphabet. <laughs> okay. Right? You know, they, it's got a monochrome screen, which is actually more expensive to use than an OLED. So, so it's a bizarre thing that way. And they're charging $150 for it. And the way that it works is that for your $150, you get games throughout the year with it. You get a, a, a – it's like a subscription to a season's worth of games. And so you don't know when the release dates are, but you just wake up one morning and all of a sudden you've got a new game. Surprise and delight. Is this going to be like Apple's new music or favorite music mix where you're just really enjoying it and they replace it all and you can't get back the, the old one? No, they don't replace it. They add Oh, to there it. you go then. This is what we want. All right. Yeah. Yeah. But what sort of game? Will yeah. I understand what sort of games they have? Uh, unclear yet to me exactly what the games are. I haven't dug deeply enough into right. it yet. But I'm excited for them because, first of all, making hardware is yeah. hard. Second of all, at the scale and, and quantities that they're making it in, 150 is not unreasonable. I mean, it just it costs that. It costs money to make hardware. And this is a big undertaking. This is not a small project. Trying to ship something like that is is very cool. A lot of people make hardware by saying, you know what, let's go make something. And they take an Android phone that's a couple of years out of date and they load some software on it and then they respin that in a new enclosure and they call it a, a new hardware. And that's one way of doing it. But this, this was engineered from the ground up and they should be proud. Yes. I'm really pleased with that, actually. I mean, I, I'm glad you told me it genuinely went past because it's a gaming thing. But that's, uh, I make you smile kind of thing good on them no they they really should be proud and the games because they're using a d-pad and a hand crank and stuff are gonna be games i mean th this is not assassin's creed for playdate monochrome screen with a hand crank to control assassin's creed this is not triple a gaming kind of stuff like that this these are games that are gonna have fun surprising mechanics that that just make you smile What's a D-pad, if you don't mind me asking what I imagine is a very obvious question? Okay, so you know how you'll have um, the, the four-way control for up, down, left, right, or up, down, left, right with center button kind of select thing? Oh, yeah. So they I, I, D-pad is commonly the five thing, the, the up, down, left, right, center. I, I think what they're using is probably a four control, a four-direction control with, with two or more buttons off to the right of that. Hmm. But... Um, and it's just called a D-pad to mess it. with my head. It's just the directional pad. Oh, I yeah. see. Oh, okay. Right, right, right. That makes sense. Cool. Well, the things you learn. Yep. Are you going to get one, Dina? Ah, man, if I had budget, I just spent money on a MacBook That's Air. That's true. Christmas is quite a long <laughs> way away. Mm. It 
is. But uh, but I am so excited for Panic. They they deserve every bit of, of good attention they get for this. They are doing something really nice yes. here. Excellent. Gosh, William, is there anything else you'd like to talk about today? Yes. How did you miss that Farmaker Pro 18 dropped this week? Well, phew, I don't know. You're not a Farmaker <laughs> user. Well, I used to be. I mean, I was big from FileMaker 7 all the way through FileMaker 12. Oh, right. I and think it was 8 or 9 that I joined in. Yes. Yeah, and I, I ran FileMaker servers. I had FileMaker Pro server going on so that I could run whole systems using that. And the truth is I miss having server. I, I could use a good license for FileMaker 12 server. But um, well, um, don't cut me on prices because it's actually now really complicated working out the prices. But approximately fifteen dollars a month will go through, or around five hundred and forty dollars to buy it outright. That's the standalone version, though. You need servers. Yes, it starts getting messy. Uh, but I yeah, love FileMaker. Database program. I actually run parts of my company entirely on FileMaker. I used to work at BBC Worldwide, uh, the commercial end of the BBC, and I was astonished how much of that run on FileMaker Pro databases. Great. What what I wish, I mean, FileMaker has a facility in it where it can talk to MySQL databases. Mm. I wish that there were an interface as good as FileMaker and Bento. Remember Bento? Oh, yes, Bento. I wish Bento came back and I wish FileMaker, and I wish they talked to a, a range of databases like Cassandra and MySQL and things like that, because then then I feel like we'd have sort of the best of all worlds in terms of compatibility and maintenance and uh, I don't know that Farmaker doesn't talk to that. I haven't actually heard of Cassandra before even, so um, obviously not an expert on this bit, but give it a look. You never know. It can connect to all sorts of things. Yeah. Anyway, new version came out this year. Strictly speaking, FileMaker still does an annual uh, release, but actually it's it's moved towards a continuous update thing so I, I wouldn't have said this one has anything massive with no one single feature that makes it a must buy if you've already got version 17 but there's so many tiny little bits that make you oh you know the more you use FileMaker the more pleased you'll be with what they've added and fixed in this so yay for FileMaker absolutely absolutely cool well that brings us to the end of a perfectly good episode of the Apple Insider podcast. Uh, please email me at william at appleinsider.com. They can email me you at victor at appleinsider.com. Where can we find you on the internet? Probably consulting my lawyers about this whole identity theft thing. That's <laughs> that's really it. Otherwise, at W yeah. Gallagher on Twitter. And, and I am at the end of william at williamgallagher.com. Excuse me. I'm not actually. That doesn't exist. <laughs> I'm at the end of william yeah. at appleinsider.com. You can email that other one and see what happens. I'm very, very yeah. curious to know. Please, please email all the special offers and newsletters there. Yeah, yeah thanks. Cheers for that. I'm at vmarks on Twitter. and. Uh, I also want to mention two things here. I have been changing the tools that we use to produce this podcast. I'm trying to to get chapter support in. So if you're an Overcast user or a Castro user and you want to see the uh, the chapters for the podcast, we're using Forecast and Podcast Chapters alternately. Forecast is made by Marco Arment, who does Overcast, and so we're really pleased to have that as a tool in our tool chest. 
the Scout Tech podcast is uh, on iTunes and anchor.fm slash Scout Tech. Check it out. It's interesting. We've got a couple episodes going up there. And that's that's the stuff. We should close out by saying thank you to Netgear. When's the last time you upgraded your home Wi-Fi? Turn your Wi-Fi up a notch with Netgear's new line of Nighthawk Wi-Fi 6 routers. Whether you're gaming online or watching Netflix in 4K, it's like giving your streaming the VIP treatment. You'll enjoy buffer-free streaming and zero lag no matter how many devices are connected to your network. Upgrade your router at netgear.com slash Wi-Fi 6. Make your Wi-Fi feel young again. Man, we should all feel so young. All right, William. Let's do this again next week. All right. See you then. Bye-bye. All right. Cheers. Bye.